an extension to uh, our, our topic of discipleship and, and learning to not only, uh, not only ourselves continuing to be learners of, of who Jesus is and become more like him, but also that we would teach others. And this is a Bible study series, a home Bible study series. In fact, you can pick this up and you can teach this the same. You can have the same notes that I have when I'm teaching this. We have this, this handbook that's right here that is in our bookstore back there. And uh, I'm teaching right out of that handbook. And uh, this is put together by, uh, by a minister at Apostolic Truth Church up in Appleton, Wisconsin. And great church up there, Brother Soto. Uh, Pastor Aaron Soto, and um, thankful for him. I've here's here's something that um, I'll just just mention, just throw out there is that the last time that we uh, we had gone over this a couple years ago, we had a saint in our church who is homebound, uh, who is an elderly saint, um, and she started teaching this homebound in her bed, hardly able to get out of her bed teaching this to her caretaker and on a weekly basis uh, teaching this and she was able to do that. If she can do it, amen, you can do it. And uh, this is, I, uh, I, even my, my eyes have been opened through some of this as well. And so uh, I'm excited for this lesson tonight. It's one of my favorite lessons as we um, get into the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm. As human beings, we, we live in a physical world. The, the word physical in, in the, this, this sense is we're talking about something that has material existence, things that you can touch. We live in a world of, of tangible things. Our day-to-day life is surrounded by things that are tangible, things that are physical. However, we're, we're told in God's word that there's another world or another realm Beyond just the things that you can see and touch, there's a, a spiritual realm. We live in a physical world, physical realm, but there's also a spiritual realm. If I were to, I'll have this kind of how, how we did last week, have some interaction taking place here. And so if I were to ask you what the word spirit means, what might a, a definition be that you would put to the word spirit? Anybody? Something that's felt but not seen? Is that what you said? Yeah, something felt but not seen. I think that's a very good definition. Anybody else want to put a stab at, take a stab at what it might mean? I think that's really good. The A, a definition uh, of, of spirit from... A Bible perspective, a biblical perspective would be uh, a current of air, breath, or breeze. That's what the Spirit means. Now, now of course, there's, there's a much larger context to what it really is. Something that's felt, but you can't see it. All of those things, the current of air, breath, breeze, all of those things are things that are felt, but not seen. That was a great definition of this probably better even than, than what I have here. The word 
the Greek word for spirit. Now, when I say Greek, it's because the original New Testament text was written in the Greek language. And so when we're looking at that word spirit in the original Greek language, it's the word pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A. Pneuma. That is, um, in, the, in the English, we use that word uh, pneuma. Uh, it's, it's part of some of our words. Pneumatic. Um, if you ever go to the bank, anybody ever been to the bank and you use those tubes? Those are pneumatic tubes. It's, they're controlled by the, the air that is in there. You have uh, pneumonia. This, it's talking about, the, talking about the air that uh, is that you're breathing. And so these words, pneuma, it's, it's talking about air. In the spiritual realm is talking about the world that's around us that's not visible. There's a whole world happening, things that are happening around us that are not visible, yet they have an impact on our present world, on, even on our, in our tangible world, they have an impact. So that's, that's the thing about the spiritual world is that, in the, in the physical world is that the two interact with each other. There are things that tangibly we do, things that we do that impact the spiritual world. And there's things that in the spiritual that happen in this, this, this world that's there, but it's not seen that impacts our tangible physical world that we're in. I mean, I could just, just as an example, you can use wind and, and wind is something that you can, you can't see it, but you can see the effects of it here in the physical world. That's just the same way in the spiritual. There's, there's things that can happen. Or, or let's say music. I, I believe music is, it falls into something that's spiritual. There is no, I mean, you can, you can go, you can touch, touch the piano, you can touch these instruments, but, but that's not the music. This instrument isn't the music. The music is, is what comes from that and it moves you. There's, there's something about music. It, it's, it, it changes things in the atmosphere. There's, I mean, you begin to clap, you want to clap your hands. You want to, um, you know, some of us on beat, some of us off beat, but, uh, you, you try to move somewhat. There's, there's a spiritual realm uh, that, that mu- music is, is playing in and it, it affects something in the physical realm. So we have these two different realms. Now, I want to, we're starting out the Bible study with these two things because we're going to be focusing on the spiritual realm tonight. So you want to know what, what is God? This is our chart number two. If we have our graphics back there, what is God? There's many people who talk about what God is like. They reference the Bible and they talk about his different attributes. You know, God is love. God is holy, God is just, and all of these things are true. In fact, we're going to get into some of those things in just a minute. But before we do, I want to know, you know, what is God? You know, not, not just, you know, how can he be, you know, how can, uh, what are his attributes? But scripture tells us if we go to John 4.24, we can see what God really is. Now, God, just that thing, just that term God is just anything that would be exalted or worshipped, anything that 
uh, people would, would look to you that, you know, there's, there's gods. Gods can be created from anything. You have thousands of, of years of, of people that they made, they have made gods. There's still people today. They make gods that are metal or wood, statues, things that, that they look to and they pray to and that is their God. But, but our God, the God that we serve, the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible, we see a description of it right here in John 4.24. It tells us simply, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. And because God is a spirit, that also means that he exists in that spiritual realm that we were talking about. He doesn't exist in this physical realm um, that's, you know, a tangible, in a tangible way right now at this present time. God does not exist in this physical realm. Now, remember, that doesn't mean that he can't reach into both of these realms, both of these worlds interact with one another. So, but God is a spirit. That means that he's invisible to the physical eye, to the naked eye. We cannot see God. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.17, it tells us, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay? I guess I should have slowed down there. It says to, do, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible. Invisible. The God that we serve is an invisible God. Now this is not revelatory to any of us. We, we understand that our God is an invisible God. In John 1.18 it says, no one has seen God at any time. Now, what he's referring to there is no one has seen God as a spirit at any time. There have been times where God has revealed himself in a natural form, in a physical form. In fact, God came down. Their scripture tells us that he put on flesh. He manifested himself into flesh as Jesus Christ. But as a spirit, no one has seen God because you can't see spirit. We can't see spirit. So that's why he had to come down and be flesh in order to die for us. Because as a spirit, he could not die. He could not um, be touched. And he could not live in the same physical world that we live in as a spirit. No one, no one has seen God at any time. No human being can see God unless God chooses to step into this physical realm, make himself visible. So we see some examples of that. We see several examples throughout the Bible, not just Jesus Christ, but there's other times where we see God revealing himself in different ways. We see in Exodus, you Moses coming to or coming in the, on the backside of the wilderness. He's been a, a shepherd for 40 years, and he comes, he's searching for one of his sheep, and all of a sudden he notices this bush that's caught on fire. But that bush, it just kept on burning and burning and burning, and there was, the bush was not consumed. And so it caught his attention. There's something about this bush, and, and he goes there, and all of a sudden a voice begins to speak out, because this was no just ordinary fire. This was God coming down, showing himself to Moses in this way. So you could see it in the physical realm. This is God manifesting himself in a physical way. 
in, in Exodus. We see it, I already referenced it, but the man Jesus Christ. That is God showing himself in physical form, um, even though he himself, his nature is that of a spirit. We see uh, in Joshua 5, these are just some other uh, times that we see God coming down, showing himself. Uh, it, it talks about the captain of the Lord's army when, in, in Joshua 5, 13 through 15. But it, is, uh, it, it appears that when it says the captain of the Lord's army, this, in fact, uh, Scripture seems to point to the fact that that was God coming down, showing himself, speaking to, um, speaking to Joshua in the form of a man, in the form of some kind of a soldier. And so we see God doing, uh, coming down into the physical realm. He was manifested himself as a cloud of smoke. A cloud of smoke. This is at the time of Solomon's temple dedication. You had a, a, a cloud of smoke that came down. This was a, this was God's presence. This was God coming into that place. We see, uh, the three Hebrew children who were in the fiery furnace. What happened when they were thrown in? There was a fourth one there, right? The fourth one that was in the fire. It was, it was a, a form of God. It was God coming and, and showing himself the same way that he did with the burning bush, the same way he did with Joshua, the same way he did with the smoke in Solomon's temple. He came down and he, he manifested himself or put on some kind of a physical form so that he was able to be seen in the natural realm. And so when we talk about God, he has shown himself or has revealed himself in physical ways. But he himself is a spirit. God is a spirit. Now, discovering that God is a spirit leads us to ask another question. And that is, well, where is God? Right? I think that's a, a good question to, to ask. Where, where is this God who's a spirit? We haven't really gotten to all the details or all the questions about, you know, what does a, uh, what, what limits does the spirit have? Any of these things, and uh, but maybe this can this can answer some of them. And remember, you can ask any questions, write down any questions you might have, and you can turn those in. We're going to get to those questions um, here in the near future. Okay, where where is God? This is the question. Well, we know that uh, that God is in the spiritual realm, but uh, what's the location? In you know, in, in proximity to this physical world that we live in, where is God's location? Now, in order to understand the importance of this question, we, we must realize that there is only one God, right? There is not, there, Brother Rex doesn't have his God, I have my God, Brother Caleb has his God, Sister Eve has her God. We don't have a bunch of different gods that are everywhere. There's one God there's not a God of America and a God of Asia, a God of Europe, a God of Africa. There's one God. There's not one God that is of the Muslims and one God of the Jews and one God of the Christians. There's one God. There's not one God that is the Father, one God that is the Son, one God that is the Spirit. There's one God. There's only one. And so... 
Where is this one God at? Where does he exist? Okay, right? He exists in the spiritual realm, but, but what does that mean? What does it mean that he exists? I mean, where is that? When we think of heaven, right, in your mind, if you're thinking of, of God in heaven, where is he? In fact, just close your eyes and just point. Where is God right now? When I'd say God is, God is in heaven. Point. One, two, three. We have some people that are pointing all over. We have some people pointing right here inside. We have some people that are, po- that are pointing up there. All of those are right. Yeah. All these are right. God is there. God is here. God is here. Because God is omnipresent. He tells us over and over in his word that I guess I want to get back to the fact that he is one God. Um, in Deuteronomy 6.4, it tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Isaiah 43.11 says, I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. Ephesians 4 says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So there's one God. He's an invisible God. The, the question is, where can I find him? And for that, we're going to go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If I can turn there. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. This is a Psalm of David. He's writing this. Uh, this praise to God. And he says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Okay, remember, God is the spirit. Where can I go? He says, Whither shall, shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, Shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall, shall hold me. Okay? God is everywhere. He says, no matter where I go, this is David's speaking, and, and we could read that whole chapter there, and it's talking, David is going on and on. It doesn't matter if I go here, there, it doesn't matter if I flee to the mountains, or if I go to the valley, it doesn't matter where I'm at, God is able to be found. It's because God is everywhere. He is not restricted to just one geographical location. In fact, there's not a single location that could contain God. There is not one thing. You can't bottle God up into one place. God is everywhere. In fact, He is bigger than anything in this world. He is bigger than this world. It says this world is His footstool. It says that, that I mean, we sing the song, He's got the whole world in His hands. Right? He's the one who created the universe. God is everywhere. God is everywhere in the universe all, all right now. Okay? So King, um, King David, his son, his son had something to say about this as well. It's in 1 Kings 8.27. 1 Kings 8.27. This is King Solomon, David's son. That was David who was just describing this uh, uh, omnipresent God. But when Solomon writes about him, he says... Will God indeed dwell on the earth? That's a, that's a uh, 
prophetic question there. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it. This very God, this God who the heavens and the heavens heavens cannot contain him. Here he is, God had requested, build me a temple or build me a tabernacle. Build me a house that I may dwell amongst you. But now Solomon's saying, God, nothing can contain you. And yet you've asked me to build this temple so that you could come and dwell among us. How are we so, how are we so worthy to have the King of Kings, the God who, who cannot be contained to come and say, this will be my dwelling place. That's a pretty powerful thing when we think about the fact that this, the house of, this is the house of God. I I know that, I know that we, um, you know, we, you can worship God anywhere, but he does in scripture point to a, a place, a church that you would go, that we would assemble together. And he says, you can find me there. You can find me in the place of worship. You can find me, he says, he says, don't, uh, you know, make this a house of prayer. Make this a place where you can reach me. You can talk to me. How privileged we are to have a God who would say, I will come and dwell among you. Hmm. Amen. Knowing that God is, is omnipresent, it means that he can come to us whenever we call out to him. We are privileged that we can come into a place, but the reality is you can call out to him wherever you're at. We serve an omnipresent God. We serve a God who is able to be touched wherever you are. He's able to be reached wherever you are. No matter where you are, he can and he will hear you. He's able to touch you. If you are in need, God can reach you wherever you're at. In Psalm Psalm 145 verse 18, it says, the Lord is near to all. Who call upon him. Hmm. Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on him. Wherever you're in the place of trouble and you just need to reach out to him. He says, I'm there. If you call on my name, I'm there. I will save you from whatever it is you're going through in that time. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge. In our strength. He is a very present help. In our time of trouble. Amen. So when we ask the question. Where is God? And I say that God is in heaven. He is in heaven. Scripture points to heaven. As being where his throne is at. And he's sitting on the throne. In heaven. But even the question of where is heaven. Heaven isn't necessarily there. I, I don't, we don't know exactly. It does speak of up to the heavens. But, but God is, he is resting in heaven. Just meaning that he is in a thing, he is in a place in a spiritual realm that is, is casting a shadow over everything. He can see over everything. But as much as he is present in heaven, he is also present right here. He's also present in your home, wherever you're at right now. And he is just as present right here. Right? He is just as present. This is the place that now our body is a living temple. This is a living temple where he has come to dwell inside of each and every one of us. 
That's where he really wants to dwell. He wants to make a place of inhabitants right here inside of us. That's where God, that's where God is at. So the Bible tells us that there's one God. The Bible tells us that the one God is a spirit. It tells us where we can find him, which is everywhere. And I want to get back to something that I mentioned uh, earlier about, you know, who is this God or what is his, his nature like? What is, what is the nature of this God that we serve? And, and he is a God that um, we, we see a, we see him in, in many different aspects throughout Scripture, right? What's, what's God like? Is he mean? Is he, is he a nice God? Does, does God have any weaknesses? We could, we could go on and on in, in the different attributes. I just want to pull out a couple of the attributes of God. God is not just omnipresent, which is what we had talked about, meaning he's everywhere, but he is omniscient. He is omniscient. It means that God is all-knowing. God knows everything that's going on at all times. Job, he tells us, for his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. God's eyes are on the ways of man. God sees everything that we do, everywhere that we go. God knows not just not just you, but God knows even what your neighbor's doing. He knows not even just the things that I can see right now, but he knows the thoughts that are going on in our minds. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. God is um, uh, omnipotent. God is omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. So he is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Revelation 19.6 says, for the Lord omnipotent reigns. That means that there is nobody that is more powerful than God. Nobody supersedes him. Nobody stands beside him. Satan does not stand beside God and have the same amount of power and authority that God has. In fact, we're going to get into Satan and, and his fallen angels. God is holy. Amen. God is holy. Back to 1 Samuel 2, 2, it says, no one is holy like the Lord. That means God is pure. God is set apart. God is perfect. God is, God is so different from, from anything, uh, from any of us. Cause, cause he is, he is perfect in all of his ways. God is good. In fact, in Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, for the Lord is good. Amen. Is anybody here? Can you, can you attest to that, that the Lord is good? Put your hands together. If you, the Lord has been good to you. Amen. The Lord has been good to me. I, I know. Come on. You've gone through some things in your life. I know maybe even this week you've had, you've had some things you've gone through. But all I know is at the end of the day, the Lord is always good to me. The Lord is so good to me. Amen. He is a good God. God is, He is so great. He is, He is, He's just a wonderful God. And, and if you, 
If you read through just uh, just the Old Testament, uh, you, you may get a picture of God that seems like a very vengeful God, and He may seem like uh, like a God that uh, you know just wants to um, get angry at, at things. But in, in, it's not that it's a it's a different God that comes in the New Testament, but but we see more of God's aspect and in, in His uh, in Himself just revealed to us when He comes down as Jesus Christ. And we see the goodness of God displayed. We see it through the Old Testament as well. But God is a good God. Isaiah 30 tells us that he's a just God. It means he's perfectly balanced. He's like that chief justice that sits upon the Supreme Court. Except for it's not the United States Supreme Court. This is the Supreme Court of all humanity. And God is that justice who sits there and he not he doesn't make any rulings that are off. God makes every ruling that is right and fair and perfectly balanced. He is a just God. That means that there's times where if if uh, if we fall short of what he has asked us to do, he cannot he cannot come and and and, and ju- judge one person according to this scale over here and somebody else according to this scale. There's one scale. There's one scale. He doesn't grade. He doesn't grade on a curve. Got some teachers in here, and and you know what that means? You grade on a curve. You know, You're, you got one class over here that's struggling a little bit more than this class over here, and so uh, and so you just kind of bump this one class up just because they're struggling a little bit more. You graded them on a curve, but God doesn't grade on a curve. He's a just God. He has. And, and it's, that curve is, it doesn't change throughout time. His bar is the same in this century than it was in the first century. God doesn't grade on a curve. He's a just, perfectly balanced God. He's a merciful God. I'm thankful that even though He is just and perfectly balanced, that when I do fall short, that He does have mercy. Come on. Are you thankful that God is a merciful God? <laughs> if I had to, if I had to be judged according to, you know, exactly everything that I've done and fallen short of, nobody can make it. Nobody can make it. He is a merciful God, though. That doesn't mean that he grades on a curve, meaning that he grades one person different from another. His mercy extends to you just the same as it extends to the person beside you. God's mer- God is a merciful God. God is a God of love. First John 4, 8 says, for God is love. Amen. We could have a Bible study on each and every one of those attributes of God um, and, and look into them a whole lot more, but we're going to, we're going to. Keep uh, continue on in this Bible study here tonight, looking into the spiritual realm, and we've we've looked at at God, but God isn't the only being that's in the spiritual realm. God exists in the spiritual realm. In fact, you will one day exist in the spiritual realm. We will exist one day in the spiritual realm because we are flesh and we are spirit as well. And when our flesh dies, there will be a spirit that is resurrected, that is eternal. Your spirit is eternal. In fact, your spirit right now is even interacting with the spiritual realm. But but there will be an eternal 
um, that, that you in your eternal state, it's, it's in, a, it, in a spiritual realm. But those are not the only beings. We have, um, of course, God that's there. But there's also angels and demons that we can look at as, as beings within that spiritual realm. These, I, I want to say, there's a, there's a lot. There's there's some people that that they study, um, do these you know in, in really in depth studies of angels and demons and and you can get a lot of different uh, ideas about them that are kind of extra biblical. So I'm going to try to we're going to, we're not going to try we are going to stay in scripture tonight. And see, what, what does Scripture tell us about angels and demons? There's all kinds of crazy things that, um, that people have pulled out. In fact, uh, a lot of that comes from, a lot of that comes from books that are not in, in the Bible, that are not in the biblical canon, um, such as, uh, the book of Melchizedek, um, I'm sorry, not Melchizedek. What's um, Enoch? Thank you. That's the one that I was trying to think of. The book of Enoch is a uh, is a book that uh, it's it's referenced in the Bible. There's 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 scriptures in the Bible that refer to the book of Enoch, um, but it is not a book that itself is in this in this Bible. And there's there's a lot of um, kind of wild ideas that uh, come about about angels and demons and all these things. Uh, from books such as that. And so I'm going to stick to sh- just to Scripture. And let's see what Scripture has to tell us about angels and demons. So angels, they can be, they can be used to minister to us through our prayers. Angels, they're not human. They're, they're spirit beings, just like God. But they, they are not equal with God because God created the angels. They are, they're his creation. Just the same way that man and everything else in this world was, was the creation of God, angels are the creation of God. Okay? So we see these, these things, these beings that exist in the spiritual realm. We see them in Scripture. Angels, uh, they, the reason that they were created, that God created them, was to worship him and to serve him. This is the reason that the angels were created. Really, the same reason that we were created. But they were created in a, in a different way, in a different form, with a different um, will, different type of will, and, um, and a different, one of the, the uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. They have uh, a difference as far as how, uh, how, how can they be saved. There's, there's a difference in that. But angels... I mentioned that angels can can be used to minister to us through our prayers. um, We are not, though, to pray to angels. I don't don't pray to Gabriel and, and say, Gabriel, do this or do that. I don't pray to any angel. I don't pray to any saint. And I know we're kind of getting outside of angels here, but I don't pray to any saint. And ask them to do stuff for me. I don't pray to any anybody except for God. And the reason I mention it, just there's 
there's prayers that are sent out every day by Christians, by the, the Catholic Church. Is, you know, they, they teach that uh, very, very much uh, so that, that, you know, pray to all of these different uh, saints and, and angels, different things. And, but I, we pray to God. That's who I pray to. Now, God, amen. I pray to God. And, and if God wants to send an angel and, and, and have that angel come and, and be a protector uh, around me or be somebody who would come and minister to me, that's up to God. But I don't pray to an angel and, and, and tell them to do this or that. I pray to God. Now, he can send his angels. They can. They can come. They can minister to us. They can satisfy our requests. We, uh, in fact, we see some of this in Scripture. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is uh, at the time of Jesus' temptation. Um, in verse number 11, it says, Behold, the angels came and they ministered to him. This is Jesus, a, a, a human. This is God in human form. The angels came and they ministered to him. And uh, so we see this is in, that, but that was in his time of prayer. In Luke 22, Luke 22 is towards the end of Jesus' life. It says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So angels, they were originally created to worship and to serve God. But not all of the angels, um, not all the angels, they chose that purpose. That was their purpose in life. Serve God, worship God. But there was a, a section or a portion of the angels that they rebelled against God. And in fact, there was, it, it, uh, there was one that led that rebellion. Okay, imagine this taking place in the spiritual realm, in heaven. You have all the angels that, that are there. You have the throne of God. Again, not a physical throne. I mean, that's kind of how I always picture it in my mind, just because our mind pictures things the, the way that we see them. God doesn't really have a physical throne that's up in heaven that he sits on some big golden throne. But there's a the, the throne of God, meaning just the, the place, the seat of authority. And the seat of authority that is there in heaven. And you have all of these angels, that millions of angels. It doesn't tell us the, the exact number. But there was one angel that, it, uh, that, that he decided to go against his created purpose. What was this creative purpose? Worship God and serve God. One angel, his name was Lucifer. He decided, I want to be the one in charge. I want to be the one that makes the decisions. I, why, why does God get to do all of this? I I should be able to. And he kept, esteeming, or kept lifting himself up. And in fact, he led a rebellion of, of other angels that they got behind him and said, yeah, 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 why aren't you in charge? And so God, he had enough of that. I don't know how, how long it took. Um, I imagine it didn't take very long, but God said, that's enough of this. I'll show you I'm in charge. And he kicked Satan out, or kicked Lucifer out of heaven. And he kicked all of the other angels that got behind him. In fact, it appears that it was one-third of the angels that, that uh, had gotten behind Lucifer, this one angel, 
that had lifted himself up, and, uh, and, and all of them were kicked out of heaven. Now, I said we're going stick to stick to Scripture for all of this, and so uh, let's go to Ezekiel 28. This is where we see in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. These are two passages where we see all of this taking place. Okay, Ezekiel 28, verse number 12. says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, I know this had talked about the king of Tyrus, but there was this physical king was not present in Eden, the Garden of Eden. There were three, four, I guess you could say four present in the Garden of Eden. You had Adam, Eve, God, and Satan. Those are the four that are present in the Garden of Eden. Now we're, we see which one this is talking about. You are in the pre, uh, Thou hast been, uh, been in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Starts describing what Lucifer uh, looked like, the angel Lucifer. Every precious stone was I covering, sardis, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, the emerald, carbuncle, gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Yeah, that's a, it's quite a description. This is, he had to have been, you know, quite an angel. He had all of these beautiful gems, all of these beautiful things that, that were covering his body, this, this angel's body. And then it says, inside of you was this, this organ, this, these pipes that are, that are just created inside of you. Okay, this is a, a, a God, or I'm sorry, this is a God had created this angel that he, he led the worship there in heaven. It appears from the way that he was created. A, a, he had tabrets, he had these, these musical instruments that were in, uh, created inside of him. It says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that you were created. Okay? This is describing him when he was in heaven. You were perfect from the days that you were created until iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of the merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee uh, with, with violence. Thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Okay? This is the description. This is where we uh, get an understanding of whatever happened. Now, what was it that happened? Um, we have this angel, Lucifer, who was in heaven. He says he was perfect in all of his ways. Up until this day that he lifted himself up. And at that moment, it says that God cast him 
out of heaven and that uh, he was corrupted. He was brought down to the ground. Um, and, out, and he says, I will lay thee before the kings that they may behold thee. Now, we want to go also to Isaiah 14. Verses 12 through 15. Again, speaking of Lucifer, the fallen angel says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, this is why, this is the, this is where we see some of the words of rebellion that, uh, that were taking place inside of Lucifer. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Okay. Notice I, 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 I. He was lifting himself up. He had all of this pride saying, I will be like the most high God. And because of that, God says, I'm going to bring you down to the lowest pit. So when we're looking at the spiritual realm, this is, this is what can, the spiritual realm consists of. We have God. We have the angels that are still created to worship and to serve God. And then we have a portion of the angels um, who they were cast down with Satan from heaven. Um, and and the, they are now, we would typically refer to them as, as demons. So you have the demons who were the fallen angels. So God has, has cast Satan and the demons who followed him out of eternal life, out of the presence of God. Um, but God has, he, he's also created a future place of imprisonment for them to be punished for their rebellion against him. That place is called hell. God says that they will, I created hell. He says, I created hell for them to be cast into hell. They will be locked in, in hell and then hell is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Jude, book of Jude in, um, second to last book in, in the Bible tells us, verse 6, says that the angels who did not keep their proper domain, in other words, those who had been kicked out of heaven, they didn't keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Those angels who were kicked out of heaven, kicked out of their own abode, kicked out of the place that was created for them. He reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Matthew 25, Jesus, speaking of this, he says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now this is a really important scripture right here, because we know that what was, what was hell in the lake of fire, what was it, who was it created for? It's created for Lucifer and, and his angels. That's what it was created for. But Jesus tells us 
If Jesus tells you, you better believe it. (laughs) Jesus tells us that anybody who rebels against God here, any person who rebels against God will also be cast into that very place that was created not for the humans, but it was created for Lucifer and the fallen angels. But you, in your heart of rebellion, will be cast into that same abode, in that same place. Hell was designed specifically for those angelic rebels. But that is also a place of eternal punishment for anybody who would, um, who would be in, in, a, in a, an eternal state, end up in an eternal state of rebellion against God. Isaiah, Isaiah 5, 14, coming to a close. But Isaiah 5, 14 says, Therefore, Sheol, or hell, has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Revelation 20, verse 15 says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here's the thing. I want to just close with this, this thought tonight. We're talking about the spiritual realm. We would define, you know, what is the spiritual realm? What, what does this mean? The fact that, that there is a, a, a realm beyond what we can see, you know, and it touches us and we can touch it. And that's what I want to get to is the fact that, that you, can, and you can interact with and you can touch the things in the spiritual realm. Our prayers affect things in the spiritual realm. When you pray, it affects things. There is change that begins to happen in the spiritual realm. Prayers activate God. Prayers of faith get God's attention. And he says, oh, I see somebody right down there in the natural who believes that in the spiritual something can happen with the fact that they are crying out to me and I will reach down and begin to, to change and to move situations around so that, so that, this, that so that they know that I exist here. They can see the effect of an of a omnipresent, omnipotent God. And man, we have the ability. You have the ability. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if you have graduated up to the 10th degree of Christianity that you have the ability to touch the spiritual realm. You have the ability wherever you're at right now. I don't even have a 10th degree of Christianity. I don't know what that is, but. You have the ability right now to touch the spiritual realm. Here's the thing. We should not just go through life and just casually, every once in a while, say a prayer before we eat a meal or lay me down to sleep. Amen. We ought to be people of prayer. This ought to be a church of prayer. On Jesus Christ, he died for the sins of this world so that we can know that he, that, that, uh, we do not have to suffer the same fate as every one of those, you know, the devil and his followers, but instead we can live an eternal life. And I want, I want not hell's, uh, not, not hell to be enlarged. I want heaven's gates, come on, to be wide open to somebody because I prayed for them because I affected something in the spiritual realm. Amen. Let us get a hold of something. Let us begin shaking something in the spiritual realm. 
I mean, our prayers can change things. This church's prayers can change things. We, come on, we can get a hold of something in this spiritual realm. And I believe that there is there are windows of opportunity that can begin to open up when people pray. Portals that can open up over, over families, over churches, over, over cities. Portals of God that can begin to open up when we pray. And God says, right here, let me just park here for a moment and begin to stir some things up. Because I have some people that are crying out in faith. And they just happen to believe that I still can work today in the same way that I did in Scripture. Come on, we got to be a praying church. We need to be a praying people. Because it's not just about the things in the physical realm. There is a spiritual component to all of this as well. Praise God. Let's stand here tonight. Amen. You can begin begin your journey. If you say, well, I don't know how to pray a heaven-shaking kind of a prayer. I don't, I don't, know, what that, I don't know what that looks like. It gets me nervous when I see somebody else do that. Here, just just start out. Start out by just taking five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, beginning of your day. Develop a relationship with God and just talking to Him. As you begin talking to Him, you get comfortable. Well, that's what prayer is all about. Just begin to talk to God. And as you start talking to God, well, He can start, He can start... uh, if, if you will, if, you, if you'll listen, if you're not just talking the whole time, but God will speak and he'll begin, uh, not in an audible way, but he'll begin to speak back to you and talk and he'll lead you and he'll guide you. Come on, this God that we serve, you can have a relationship with him. Praise God. Let's all around this place, just lift up our hands. Amen. Just reach out. Amen. To this God who is a spirit right now for he can touch us. Amen. He can be touched. Right now with the people, hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, that this people today, Lord, that we, God, would not, uh, God, that we would not, um, God, just go through our days without accessing the things in the spirit, Lord, without accessing and touching you, Lord, for you are, are yearning, God, for your people to cry out to you, Lord, you are not a God who is, who is just standing back, God, ready to judge, but God, you are one who wants to be touched, Lord, you want to intervene, God, you want to, God, begin to move and do things in our lives, Lord, so I pray, Lord, that we would not be satisfied, just satisfied with the things in this world. But God, let us be a praying people. Help us, Lord, to touch you. Amen. Not just here inside these walls, but God, every day, every day, every day, God, that we would touch you. We would reach out to you, call out to your name. Jesus, precious name. Amen. Amen.